Welcome fellow entrepreneurs to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we talk about Amazon Wholesale and how you can use it to build an e-commerce empire, a side hustle, or anything in between. And now, your host, Todd Welch. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 15. And today, we're sitting down with Scott Needham. He is the CEO and one of the founders of a Buy Boxer, which is right now, according to webretailer.com, the 22nd largest Amazon seller in the United States. So you're definitely going to want to pay attention to this. We dive into some details that are really going to help you as a seller, whether you're new or you're already established, including things like buying from distributors or brands. What kind of tactic you should have? Should you go deep on products? Should you go wide? What kind of sales rank should be you be looking for? How can you get around the, we don't want any more Amazon sellers and lots of other great information like that. Scott is a really great guy. It was really fun talking to him and I think you are really going to like it. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode, entrepreneuradventure.com forward slash 15 to get all the links that we talk about in this episode, including links over to Scott's podcast, The Smartest Amazon Seller. You'll definitely want to check that out. And we've got a new five-star review over on iTunes. This is from Cloud9 Society. Says, one of the best podcasts for wholesale. I started watching Todd's YouTube channel, looking for wholesale on Amazon Info, then found his podcast. Excellent and informative. This podcast is one of the best about wholesale on Amazon. Thanks, Todd, for your advice and expertise. This is Tom from Highland CA. You answered a couple of my questions on the previous podcast. Great work. So, Tom, I really appreciate the five-star review, Tom. Thank you so much. If you haven't left one already, make sure you head over there to iTunes, leave us a five-star review or less if you don't think we deserve a five-star review, whatever, and I will read it on an upcoming episode. And make sure you share this with your friends on social media, anyone who might get good information out of this to help us grow the show so I can keep interviewing great guests like today's. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this episode with Scott. All right, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your history with BuyBoxer, how you got involved in Amazon, and how you managed to grow to such a large size. Todd, thank you. Yeah, uh, let's see. So um, I went to college and I studied computer science and I left the family business never to return against my parents' best wishes. But then my brother started doing something very interesting. He took a brick and mortar store in a small town of Logan, Utah, and started um, pushing uh, the, the brands that he had relationships, sort of selling them on Amazon. And he was telling me about the problems that he was having in kind of scaling and automating. I mean, this is 20, this is 2011, 2012. There was no tools out there like there are today. I mean, right now you can't go too far without finding a lot of software services, but uh, back then there was nothing. And um, I didn't uh, have a mindset to create software services for others. I just wanted to help 
um, my brother's business uh, and uh, to scale. And that was all the focus, you know, every single part of the business, whether it was, you know, the order management to sourcing to uh, getting data back from Amazon. And I would just take a specific task that each part of the business was doing and I would find some sort of way to automate it to, to speed it up. Okay. Very nice. So lots of, lots of automation to kind of push you ahead of the competition then. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 com- the competitors are sophisticated as well. You know, this is 2020 now and uh, I am certainly scared of <laughs> some of those out there that also have an army of software developers to uh, increase their own efficiency. Yeah, for sure. It's, there's a lot of great tools out there nowadays and more and more always coming. So what, what year was it again that you started by Boxer? So um, I came on full-time in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Boxer started selling online for the first time in 2011. Okay. And, uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, now you guys are one of the largest Amazon sellers. Yeah. What, what number um, are you at most recently? I don't know. Let's see. So, you know, we started growing, you know, double or tripling in size the first few years that I was there. And then we've kind of uh, been pretty stagnant for the last few years. Um, it's just what it is. And we've been in the top 10 before. Um, but this year, we're sliding. If you look at seller ratings, I don't even like to look at it anymore because, <laughs> because our business has shrunk to focus on profitability. Okay. You know, you're, and I think it's important to know what mode your business is in so you can make decisions around that. So that if, you, you know, if you're in growth mode, um, that you make decisions around that or if you're at a steady state or even shrinking and you can optimize for those situations. All right. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, when you're growing, obviously you're just throwing money out there, getting as many products as you can and then figuring stuff out as you go along. And obviously there's going to be a lot of mistakes, but as you start reeling it back in, getting towards that profit and making sure you're doing a profit, then naturally your numbers are going to start falling. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you said, you said money takes it to, to grow. Most of our bigger growth modes, uh, you know, did involve, uh, you know, extra capital getting thrown at it uh, to, to fuel the fire. Okay. So one question a lot of new people ask is, is it too late to start selling Amazon or wholesale on Amazon? What are your thoughts on that? Um, absolutely not. Um, there is, uh, like I, I find that there's, there's infinite amount of niches out there. Uh, in the last month I've uh, spoken from a seller from Hawaii who sources Hawaiian brands and has used that to leverage, you know, uh, new products that have not been available on Amazon. Um, they're not his. And so that's why they would probably be uh, a wholesale. Uh, and then I know someone does the same thing, but with, uh, with uh, ethnic food, he, he knows the market and is using that to bring new products that have never been in the FBA program uh, to, 
to people that want them. You know, their uh, ethnic foods have grown to be main staples of our diets. And so I do think it's like it, there's, there's growth yet. And, um, and as, as, many, uh, as many sellers as there are and new sellers that come, there are people that throw in the towel that uh, decide on a different line of business. And so I don't feel like it's too saturated. I would rather than that focus on, I think if you do wholesale right, I, uh, you're profitable from day one. You know, if your first buy is under the right parameters, uh, you will, you'll make, you'll turn that inventory and make money off of it. So it's kind of hard to, um, it, it's kind of to say no. And if, you know, if the data is right there and you can pull the trigger and buy that product and get a return of 40, 50% um, ROI, yes, you can still do it. And, and many people are. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so many products out there and there's new brands coming all the time. And one tactic, like you mentioned, you can take is bringing new products to market as well. I don't think a lot of people talk about that. It's a little more work and effort up front. But if you can maybe have an exclusive with that brand and build that brand, you got a really good opportunity there. Right. Here's an example. I mean, I see them in the wild every day because there are some brands that I have seen them like, and, and I check on Amazon. It's like, this is not being optimized. Um, I was at a, a specialty root beer shop and I've seen this like specific brand of, I think it's kind of like a butterscotch uh, drink. It's kind of uh, like butterbeer from Harry Potter. Obviously you can't say the words Harry Potter or butterbeer, those would be trademarked. But um, this premier brand that has been in like, I've seen it in at least three stores. Um, it is not on Amazon. And it's ripe for opportunity because uh, there are people that want it. And um, so I see opportunities all the time. I don't act on all of them, but sometimes I do. Yeah, it's, I, I was just on a coaching call just a little bit ago and I was telling them about that. Like one of the tactics that I use is, you know, if you find a product that ha is at sales rank of like three, four, 500,000, but it's got some reviews and the listing is really horrible. You know, you can do a little test buy on that, clean up the listing and, and see what happens. If it doesn't work, clearance it out, move on to the next one. No, that's totally true about the, uh, um, if you see something at a sales rank of that high, sometimes it's that high because there's no FBA offer. Mm -hmm. And the moment an FBA offer comes, all of a sudden it starts to sell. Yep. So um, there are 50 reasons why a product won't sell. And chances are that you can, you know, squash a few of them and bring the product back to life. Yep. Yeah, I've done it uh, quite a few times, numerous times. Um, you know, and most of the products that I sell that are really profitable for me, I almost guarantee that everybody listening probably has never heard of their brand, at least most of the brands that I carry. So that's something to keep in mind too. A lot of people like to look at the sexy stuff and not think about the brands in obscure niches that you've never right. heard of and brands that you've never heard of. And so, there's so many out there. 
you know, Buyboxer has one superlative. Um, we have the largest catalog of prime products in Amazon. And uh, that is because of our buying parameters. We are willing to go long tail. There's higher margin on long tail and there's less competition. Yes, they move slower, but um, we, it's just the way that our system is built. And what's crazy is we actually have a hard time trimming it. If we want to we reduce our amount of ASINs, I can't do it very easily. And um, so we actually cast a very, very wide net, super wide, and don't go very deep. And we steer clear of some of the super competitive products and the Amazon retail uh, products as well. So um, I, I, I think most sellers, if you really dig down into their DNA, they have something that's unique about their approach to wholesale. And that's an edge that um, anyone can get. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I go wide. I think you're, you're hedging your bets that way, reducing your risk. I just heard a story of a, an Amazon seller who is doing really well. And most of his profit, though, is coming from a couple SKUs. And there was a falling out with that brand. And they pretty much lost their company overnight, just about, at least a large percentage of it. So spreading out like that can definitely help reduce your risk as well. Yeah. Now, I actually, I just want to let everybody know too quick here while we're still at the beginning that you have a podcast and that's where I started uh, finding out more about you. So I definitely want to recommend people to jump over there as well. It's called The Smartest Amazon Seller and really good information. I definitely highly recommend it. I binge watched or binge listened to the whole thing. Uh, what's the website for that? Um, so there is no website. It's on Spotify, iTunes. It's on all the platforms. Okay. Um, you're more than generous to, to mention that. So thank you very much. Uh, I, I chose the, uh, I was telling him earlier, uh, Todd earlier that I chose the, the most humble name that I could find. Mm -hmm. And, and it was the smartest Amazon seller. I, I really started it out just talking about, you know, insights as a developer that I've gotten and, uh, and hopefully it's out there to help people. And I, you know, it's the feedback that I've gotten has actually helped me. I've, uh, <laughs> I told people about a repricer I was using, come to find out a few months later, they started teaching me about new settings on that repricer. And I was like, Oh, it does that. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. There, there's so much different stuff that you can learn, but we'll put uh, links to them in the show notes for like iTunes, Spotify and things like that. Um, but just searching for the smartest Amazon seller, people can check that out. And uh, yeah, I just, just the other day I seen you guys jump on one of my listings. I'm like, uh -oh. what are you doing jumping <laughs> on my listings? But uh, that's all right. Don't worry. We'll, we'll stock out. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's all good. That's what we're here to compete and keep growing and stuff like that. So, and and you know what? Um, one of the reasons I was I'm so like willing to talk about the inner workings of our business is because I actually advocate a lot of ideas that help the marketplace and actually can help us uh, down the line. Um, I I I'm pretty. Uh, passionate about, you know, 
finding creative ways to raise your price. I mean, I, I did have a podcast specifically on that, but that um, when we found ways to raise our price, it increased our margins from you know 15% average to about 18% um, average gross margin. And I mean, you, we fight tooth and nail for uh, even a single percent. So um, I really should even spend tomorrow just to like dive in again at pricing again, just to make sure that, you know, uh, that we've got the smartest uh, strategies there. Yeah. It's so important for any kind of e-commerce business, especially to have those, those higher margins if you're going to keep growing. Otherwise it's, you know, you're going to have that cash flow battle no matter what, but if you're yeah. doing razor thin margins, it's just going to be a never ending cat and mouse game. Well, I've actually been fairly open about the fact that like, you know, our, our company actually lost money in 2018. And that's when we, we need, we, that's when we decided to dial back on more profitable products and uh, creative pricing and had a, a pretty significant turnaround in 2019, you know, shrinking helped us. Yeah, there's a time to grow, but then there's a time to be profitable. And, that's, and, and you should be aware in your business what knobs you can turn to dial in for one or the other. Yep, absolutely. So what is your target like ROI for a product? Um, let's see. Well, what we've been achieving is about 55% ROI. Oh, wow. That's really high. Very nice. I usually recommend at least 30%, preferably even higher than that. But 55, that's really nice. Well, the truth is, is um, our business is large and it has large overhead. There's no other way to describe it. Like we have a hundred employees and, you know, healthcare and, you know, managers. Uh, these are things that we are, you know, in some ways that we're, we were proud to offer, but, um, you know, we have to use, everything that we can we have to like use all the uh, automation to and we we may need a higher roi yeah yeah that that's very good though so how have you managed to stay competitive at that high of an roi um are you getting a lot of exclusives or no uh so well we have a lot of data yeah. Um, we track historical data. We track the, we, we forecast, um, you know, how many sellers are there. And um, we track a lot of historical data with uh, what's against Amazon retail. We avoid them at all costs. And, and then we have creative ways of at the beginning of a product's life cycle, we, we, we try and like raise the price as much as we can. If it doesn't sell, then when then our price kind of goes down, and then um, as we stock out, we raise our prices again. That kind of uh, dynamic, you know, pushing up, uh, gives us ROI in situations where you know you you may not be aware of. Um, and let's see, that that's really it. I you know take for example um, any other uh, wholesale instruction videos that you guys have probably seen. Generally speaking, they're right. We follow the same tactics. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, but instead of going for volume, uh, we go for, you know, ROI. We could, we could find products that would sell faster. Yep. You know, maybe, maybe even push our, uh, we, we could be doing a hundred million in revenue. Um, you know, Buyboxer has been kind of sitting at about a 60 million mark. We could have done a hundred million in revenue and lost more money. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, sorry, and had like a, a lower ROI and ultimately we would have lost money. And so, um, that's, as you know, as we were saying, kind of dialed things in. Yeah. And I, I think that's a better route anyways. I mean, I, we don't want to be Walmart where we're selling at super small margins, just pushing high volume. It's, it's a lot less riskier in my opinion by selling those slower velocity, higher ROI products for sure. Right. We do have some exclusive relationships and um, you know, where we are actively uh, growing a roster by, you know, offering services. It's not easy to get them. We, uh, um, and, and you can, in some of the situations start to get slightly higher uh, margins because if you're an exclusive, you know, you can, you can find a way to raise it a dollar or two. So I think um, any wholesaler out there can um, uh, pivot slightly and, uh, and vie for exclusives by offering, you know, service back to that brand saying like, Hey, I'll be your authorized. I'll give you this data. I'll optimize these images. I'll do this, this, and this. And, um, and then you're worth it. And, and I, th- I absolutely think a small mom and pop can beat us in, in service if they have, if they, uh, you know, are paying attention. Uh, so that's kind of like what I work with a lot still to this day is, is make sure that our services back to brands um, only gets better. Yeah. And I've mentioned that in the past, how a smaller seller like myself can compete with a big seller like yourself by offering that more personal touch, right? Because it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the CEO of Buyboxer to be talking with a small brand about building their listings on Amazon where myself it does. So a lot of small businesses would like to work with a small business as well. So we have that kind of leg up on a bigger well, And one thing that you've learned as a wholesaler is some of the Amazon expertise that, um, you know, a, a, a brand doesn't have. There is not a lot of really good um, Amazon knowledge out there. And if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're probably the type that has already picked up a lot of these skills. And um, so you are valuable and don't, uh, don't set that aside of like what you've learned. And if, if you're, if you're still, if you're still starting out, keep listening to podcasts. I actually think the cutting edge of information on Amazon is on podcasts. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And just having the format is just really nice. You can listen to it while you're doing just about anything. So Definitely would recommend that as well. Um, one thing that I'd like to touch on as well, brands direct or distributors? What is your breakdown with Buybox or where you're getting your products? I think we do about 50-50. Okay. Um, distributors are, are, they really simplify a lot of things. They give you huge catalogs. Um, but one problem is their prices aren't quite as good. 
And um, because some brands, you know, they maybe they have one decent, they have one or two decent products, and your POs are, you know, under a thousand dollars. The truth is that doesn't really move the needle for us. Um, you know, we send out POs regularly in the twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, and so that we're able to do that with distributors. But um, I mean, there's strength to working with the manufacturer brand. Uh, you're going to get a little bit of that margin, better margin, and maybe even a more long-term relationship with a product that you can set up a future exclusive or semi-exclusive relationship. Yep. Yeah, a lot of times the brand is cheaper. I've seen some times where it's more expensive, but yeah, it's good to hear that it's like 50-50 because I think a lot of people out there teach to just like go brand, 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 brand. And then I hear it from people all the time. I've, you know, I've reached out to 50 brands and nobody wants to work with me because I'm an Amazon seller. Um, and distributors are just so much easier and you can start getting some quick wins while you're building your your brand catalog as well. Now for your stock, what kind of stock levels are you guys keeping? Are you trying to do like a rolling 45, 60, 90? Um, four to six weeks. So that's about 45. Okay, perfect. So about 30 to 45 days. Which is but, um, but we definitely run out of inventory constantly. Um, really like to run lean, like to, um, uh, when you run out of inventory, that means you know you got your money back. Um, if you try and have longer weeks of cover, we found that if a product stops selling or say Amazon retail jumps on, your ability to, um, to get your money back is just harder and you're further invested. So we, we try and avoid um, major investments that can burn us. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm liking all your answers so far, Scott. It makes me feel like I'm on the right track here. So I'm a, I'm a ways behind you, but it uh, sounds like I'm on the right track. So I'm liking that. Um, let's see. Uh, how about uh, one thing that I just jumped into is the... Amazon, uh, well, they have the NARF program now, North American Remote Fulfillment, and then yes. also just selling direct in Canada and Mexico and Europe internationally. Do you guys do a lot of that? Uh, well, what we do do is we actually manage more brands in Europe than we sell ourselves, where we manage, uh, you know, Buyboxer has built out an agency uh, to, to do that and sometimes they want to go to Europe and so we advise that and kind of manage that aspects. Okay, nice. And so, but I don't have as much on the ground experience other than <laughs> I know the steps to take. Uh, we have done some Canada direct, uh, you know, ourselves where we did the, the exports. Um, it's kind of hard to justify the time spent on that. Canada's a little bit smaller and it's harder to get sales. So um, that's why, you know, I'm a big fan of the NARF program, talk plenty about it, and because it's a great way to test some other marketplaces, Mexico and Canada, mm -hmm. your inventory in uh, the U.S. 
gets listed in the .ca and .mx uh, marketplaces. And, and they're using your existing inventory already in Amazon FCs. That means you are starting to sell more tomorrow. And right now that represents almost 4% of our business. It's not, you know, game changing, but there's not a lot of things that you could do that increase your sales by 4% overnight. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I heard you talk about it on your podcast. So I reached out to you about it and so I appreciate you helping me uh, get that set up and stuff. And it actually just went live uh, yesterday. So I'm still playing around with it, getting everything pushed over the different marketplaces. But my thought with it is that if I start seeing sales of a product in Canada or Mexico, then I can go ahead and send that product in if it makes sense and sell it. Yeah. Prime there. I mean, I think if you sold 10 units into uh, one of those marketplaces, you pro uh, say 10 units in a month, you could probably send 30 direct and, and, and like it, it would increase the sales because while it is a prime offer in those marketplaces, it's not two day shipping and it is a little bit more expensive. I think you could have a better uh, offer altogether uh, if you are actually, you know, your inventory resides in those countries. So I, I think NARF is great for testing that out. If you see 10 sales uh, a month in a, on a product, pay attention to that. You could see that double or triple. If yeah, you are definitely. Yeah, and just uh, to explain the NARF, uh, North American Remote Fulfillment, it's basically where Amazon is taking your inventory you're selling in the U.S. and shipping it when it sells in Canada or Mexico. So you can list products in those two marketplaces without actually having to import products into there yourself. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, any other tips or anything like that, Scott, for someone just getting started out? Like what, something I, I just thought of, like what do you guys do to get around the barrier of we don't want any more Amazon sellers? <sighs> There's, uh, I've heard plenty of tactics and uh, some work and some won't. Everyone has a different Amazon strategy, and we honestly try and adapt to that. Say, uh, and I've actually built our company to evolve around that. Uh, there's a chance that Amazon evolves, you know, and more brands go direct. So we have taken it on ourselves to manage their accounts. And for a subset of them, it works, where we can get a percent of sales for managing their account, and hopefully we do a great job of. Uh, growing their sales, then uh, that's one thing. Another is we will, you know, talk about their brand and how we can grow them on Amazon and, and improve their pages with, with, with better marketing. And that will win for some. It could be a hard sale. And then some, of, some brands you just have to walk away from. And... Um, that may be why we still are strong with distributors is because it's just easier to get that yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot easier. It's like night and day for, for the most part, especially right now in 2020. So 
definitely doing a mix of both is kind of where it's at. Do you guys ever get any success getting around the, we require our sellers to have a brick and mortar store? Well, um, you know, we did have a brick and mortar store in 2013 and we leaned on that. We would never lie about what, where we were selling stuff, but we said, yeah, we have a brick and mortar. And um, that helped open the door. But the last three years, we just don't even say that anymore. We just tell them what we do and uh, approach the conversation that way. So there is an advantage to a brick and mortar, no doubt. And if you see an opportunity to to get one, maybe you should take it. That's it. But um, doesn't mean you can't get a lot of brands without it. Yeah. you focus the conversation on on how you can help them build their brand. Yep. Yeah. They're just roadblocks that we all have to deal with and it's not easy, but uh, eventually you start learning different ways to kind of work around it. I just had one that I've been selling his product for over a year now and I took it upon myself to improve some of his listings. And just this year I reached out to him, asked him what his, uh, plans were and if he wanted to maybe work with us and now we've got an exclusive with them. So sometimes you just got to build that brand and, and start small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oops. Sorry. No, that's all right. So we're, we're probably running up against uh, our time here. So any last things that you would like to throw out there for someone who is just getting started, hasn't even sold on Amazon yet. So, I mean, I would uh, divide your time in two ways. Um, As you're starting, there's two types of activities. There's the the physical tasks or the, uh, let me, I don't know, I need a new word for this. But, you know, tasks that get a specific set result. Say you're labeling a product. You could label 500 an hour. Great. So it's, um, you're going to get that much input per hour. And then there's the types of tasks that help you scale. That's when you're implementing new technology. That's when you're implementing um, a new piece of software that, that is taking away a task from you that you end up doing every day. And also, uh, you know, hiring out or, uh, you know, using a VA for these uh, is also a, a form of scaling your business. And so make sure you're always mindful of, you know, which ones are you doing and, and where can you be? What do you have the money to do? Do you have money to invest, in, time and money to invest in your processes and in your software? Or, uh, or do you just, you know, uh, get, you know, a set amount of value per time? I think retail arbitrage is a great example of that. You get your scanner and you get your things going and, and that's as efficient as you're going to be. You're still driving around to uh, pick up uh, certain uh, products. And that's kind of like you're, 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 you're not scaling your business. And so, so be, be mindful of how you can scale. I mean, that's how you're ultimately going to get bigger if that's your goal. Yep. 
Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you got to outsource those tasks that uh, are going to take up most of your time. Uh, one of those things is, I think, uh, opening some of those accounts and doing the basic things like emailing and stuff like that. How, how soon did you start outsourcing that stuff? Um, immediately. Uh, that was one advantage of our brick and mortar store is we had employees and we kind of, you know, having them shift some of their labor to helping us scale. Um, and then it just kind of like fueled itself and, uh, and then we, you know, just, we just only grew from there. You know, from the beginning, we did utilize help from others. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Extremely important in any business if you're going to grow it for sure. Um, well, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on the show here. I think this has been a, an excellent episode. A lot of details and stuff that we dived in that are going to help people. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and I look forward to, to staying in touch. We're both here in Utah, so maybe we can get together sometime for uh, a drink or something. Okay. Yeah, no, sounds good. I'd love to keep in touch and, uh, and uh, you know, just keep helping the community or, or whatever. You know, I, I gain a lot out as well. All right. You have a good one, Scott. Thank you. All right. So what did I tell you? A great episode. As always, I really love talking with Scott. You can tell he really knows his stuff and has built a business that's selling over $60 million a year. So a lot of great knowledge there, and I'm really happy we could get him to come on the show. Make sure you head over to check out the show notes at entrepreneuradventure.com forward slash 15 for links over to his podcast. And then I also recommend you check out his website, buyboxer.com. It's a great example of a value proposition website if you're looking at building something for your own business as well. So with that, this is Todd Welch with the Entrepreneur Adventure signing off. Happy selling, everybody. This has been another episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. Thanks for listening, fellow entrepreneur. And always remember, success is yours if you take it.